Pray with me, please. Our Father, we're so grateful, Lord, that we can make a pilgrimage from our homes to this place once again to remember you. Remember what you have done for us that we could never do for ourselves. Remember how you provided a lamb, your own choice, your own lamb. But also, Father, we are gathered for the purpose of hearing from you once again how you would have us to order our lives for the coming week and months ahead of us. Lord, as we listen today, we pray, O oh Lord, that we may listen with the determination in our hearts that we will obey with the determination in our hearts that we will do as thou hast said. Lord, I come as in a vessel that is empty, desiring to be filled by you, to be a channel through which you would communicate your truth, your blessings, your will, your purpose. I pray, O oh God, that you would indeed hide me behind the cross of Jesus so that it is the cross, and only the cross, that it will indeed be seen. And so, Lord, as we open your word today, we pray, O oh God, that you would open our hearts and cause us to be receptive and obedient to what thus said the Lord. This we ask in Christ's name. And all God's people said... Amen. One day, out on the range of the big state of Texas, a cattle farmer was sitting on his horse, and he was observing a very interesting scenario out on the range. He saw a cowboy running from his life, for his life as he was about to be gorged by a bull, mad, raging bull. And so he sat there for a few minutes and he watched the scene. The bull with his head bowed and his nostrils snorting charged at this cowboy. And the cowboy ran and he dove into a hole in the ground. And when the bull passed by, he jumped out of the hole again. Bull got madder than ever and came back again charging at him and he jumped in the same hole. When the bull passed, he jumped back out. Bull came back, he jumped in the hole. When the bull passed, he jumped back out. And so after watching this scenario for a few minutes, the, the cattle farmer shouted, Hey, cowboy, why don't you just stay in the hole? The cowboy shouted back, Because there's a bear in that hole. <laughs> well, that cowboy was caught between the proverbial rock and the hard place. Anywhere he turned, he was in trouble. And this is a, a true parable of life for most people today, including Christians. We feel that we are faced with difficulty at every single turn we take. Make no mistake about it, 
What is true in every single area of life is also true in the realm of Christian faith. You see, making a commitment of our lives to Jesus Christ doesn't take away the reality of the problems that life throws at us. It doesn't take away the reality of the fact that we're going to find ourselves in all kinds of problems as we go through this life on planet Earth. For every Christian, difficulty still remains a part of our daily diet. And it always will be until Jesus comes. History has clearly taught us in no unmistakable terms that when it comes to this incredible body of Christ, there is no commitment without conflict. There is no opportunity without opposition. And there is no triumph without trouble. And we have all at some particular point in our lives experienced that. However, God's people, whenever we get busy for God, opposition will certainly raise his ugly head in some way, shape, or form. Nehemiah discovered the reality of such a truth firsthand. Now, there are historians who believe that Nehemiah led a third group of Jews back to Judah after the Babylonian captivity, around something around 444 BC. The task to rebuild the walls of his beloved Jerusalem. But who was Nehemiah? Who was he? That he should be chosen for such a task. His name means comfort of Jehovah. Born during the exile period to parents, Hebrew parents, his name indicates that he came from a deeply religious home. His twofold purpose was undoubtedly a very worthy one. Just two. First, to rebuild the walls of the city. And secondly, to rebuild the faith of God's people. But guess what happened? You guessed it. As soon as he got, his, got started, he was confronted with opposition. First, he had opposition from without, from the outside. Notice the kind of ridicule he had to face from his enemies. Verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 4 through verse 3. Notice, Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can rebuild the wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from this, from a rubbish heap? Uncharred ones at that. Tobiah 
The Ammonite who was standing beside him remarked, That stone wall would collapse even if a fox walked along the top of it. But you know, if the ridicule wasn't bad enough, when we look at verses 7 through 23, we see that they reveal that the enemy's ridicule soon developed into threats of physical violence. They probably were thinking, well, if you can't hear, you can feel. Look at verse 7. We go from verse 7 to 23. Notice. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Amorites, Ashdodites, heard that the work was going ahead and the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God. Mark those words. And guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired. There's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to rebuild the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families, armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then, as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. You can mark that too. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half of my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding, then our God will fight for us. Underline that too. We worked early and late. 
from sunrise to sunset. And half of the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way, they and their servants could help with guard duty at night and work during the day. During this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, took off their clothes. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. Now, according to the text, as the work of Nehemiah developed, the people in the land became angry and threatened to fight. They threatened Nehemiah and his men with violence, physical force. And that's a reminder for us that whenever we get busy for God, we too will experience the ridicule and sometimes the physical violence of the world around us, the community, the environment, the society that we live in. Because whatever we're doing for God is going to impact them in a negative way. We're doing positive things for God, but whatever we do positively for God is going to affect those negatively who are not serving God, who are not living for God, who are not loving God. And so it's something that we need to remember because this is exactly what Nehemiah encountered. But what was most discouraging for Nehemiah was not the opposition that came from the outside, it was the opposition that came from within. His own people. The text describes the level of fear that gripped the hearts of the people and prompted the kind of opposition that they exhibited toward their leader, Nehemiah. Look again at verses 10 through 14. Notice, then the people of Judah began to complain. They began to complain. The workers are getting tired. And there's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Complaining from within. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we're going to swoop down on them and kill them and and end their way. We're going to put a stop to this this nonsense they're trying to do here. We're going to put a stop to this work. That's what they say. They will come from all directions and attack us. So I place armed guards. Now these are the people complaining because they didn't want to do the work. Okay? They they find you know, you know, sometimes you give someone a job to do and they don't want to do it and they find excuses. That's what we got right here. This is what Nehemiah is facing. They said the people say they're gonna come down us. They say they're gonna come from all directions. We're not gonna be able to see them. Nehemiah says, Okay, no problem. Verse 18. So I place armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in exposed areas. No problem, I've got that covered, Nehemiah says. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Every conceivable type of weapon that was available to them, Nehemiah put at his disposal. Okay, so the people now have no excuse. Nehemiah says, okay, you got an excuse about this, that, and that? I'm gonna fix that. 
Here's what I'm going to do. And so he gets all these weapons and he puts these, uh, these, these guards in place. And then he says in verse 14, Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. You see, they had forgotten who God was. They had forgotten that God was great. They had forgotten that God was glorious. And Nehemiah had to remind them. He says, listen, you know, let me put this another way. The battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. He's the one who's going to fight this battle. And he says, don't be afraid of your enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your relatives. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Now in the same way that these people, Nehemiah's people, were paralyzed with fear, is the same way God's people were paralyzed on the doorstep of the promised land. Remember that? Same kind of paralysis that came from fear. And God's people throughout the ages have often missed out on many golden opportunities to do for God and serve God in tremendous ways, primarily because of fear. And that's what Nehemiah is dealing with here. You see, many of us are, are quite familiar because we've been there. So we are quite familiar with how overwhelming, how tiring accomplishing a, a humongous task can be. There's no shortage of pressures that do nothing but cultivate discouragement. That's what pressures are intended to do. Try to get you to give up. Throw in the towel. Those pressures, from those pressures we get, we get thoughts in our minds and, 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 and ideas. That, you know, it, it appears to be an impossible task. I mean, we can't do this. Other thoughts, it, it cannot be finished. How many times people gotten into something and, and, and it'd be, it, it so overwhelmed them, the size of it, the magnitude of it. They say, you know, this can't be finished. We'll never get this done. Or it has too many factors working against us to be able to get this done. All of those thoughts cultivated by discouragement. Nehemiah faced the same thing when he decided to get busy for God. But focusing on God's purpose is the only treatment for exhaustion and discouragement. Focusing on God's purpose. Nehemiah reminded the workers of just three things. Their calling. God called you to do this. It's in God's purpose for you to accomplish this. Their goal. You need to get it done. It has to be completed. And their protection. Our God is great and glorious, and he's going to fight for you. God's got your back, is what Nehemiah was telling these people, but they didn't get it. So here's one application principle for us to take from what Nehemiah is trying to accomplish with these people, and what we can learn from Nehemiah. Here's the principle. When tired and discouraged by being over, by an overwhelming task, and we often come there, Remember the purpose God has for your life and his special purpose for the task at hand, the task that he has given you to do. Special purpose. 
Remember that. Now, if you were to go to Nehemiah, don't turn there, but if you were to go to Nehemiah chapter 5 and read the first 15 verses, you'll see that, you'll see that this is not the only problems Nehemiah had in terms of opposition from his people. You will see that the people of God were also plagued by greed. Many, when many of Nehemiah's contemporaries turned their focus from God to themselves, they decided that the price that they were going to have to pay was just too high. And we've got people like that today in the incredible body of Christ. When they see what God is demanding of them, when they decide to get busy for God, they said, you know what, <laughs> Lord, I'm going to see you later. The price is too high. I remember when we were in, 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 uh, in Jacksonville, God had called us there to serve. And uh, we had many occasions when we, we encountered situations like this where we could have said, you know, Lord, the price is too high. I remember one year we, were, we, had, uh, we had had some challenges the year before. And we had just gotten back. Uh, to Jacksonville, and uh, I walked through the gate, and I passed this guy through the gate, at the gate. And while I was going out, he was coming in. And when I got back in the house, my wife handed me an envelope. And when I opened the envelope, it was a summons. I was being sued by a guy that I was in an accident with in Tallahassee the year before. This was like seven or eight months later. Okay, I was being sued. And, uh, you know, I read this letter, and I could have said, you know what, Lord? This mission trip is over. I'm going home. The price is too high. But you know what I did instead? I took that letter and I spread it before the Lord. And I said, Lord, this is bigger than me, but it's not bigger than you. The price is not too high. Committed that to the Lord. The next day, I got another letter. The very next day, another letter. Now that first letter, when I read that, I heard some knocking sounds. And when I looked down, they were my knees knocking together. <laughs> that second letter what I got, it made my heart jump for joy. Because the second letter was from a law firm in Tallahassee telling me that they had been acquired by the rental car company that I had rented the car from that I had the accident in to, 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 to represent me and the car company. And that whatever happens, they will take care of it. Now this was just the next day. The next day. That lawsuit went on for four years. And they said, we'll send you all the documentation. And every couple of days, the envelope would come. And I got this little cardboard box, and I just threw it in there. I never even opened some of them. And that lawsuit went on and on. It was, it was, it was suing me for $15,000. Me and the rental car company. But I think they were after the rental car company. But it went on for four years. It wasn't settled until we finished our mission and came back home. And I got a letter when I got back home that the lawsuit was settled for $10,000 out of court. Never cost me a postage stamp. Never had to go to Tallahassee to court or to, or to do any deposition. In fact, they told me in the letter, if we have to do that, we're going to send people to Jacksonville to do it. For us, the price wasn't too high when we got busy for God. We were not distracted by the lawsuit. God took care of it. 
So Nehemiah was confronted with, uh, was confronted both from within and without by obstacles as he tried to accomplish the work of God, the work that God had called them to do. However, Nehemiah's story is a story of overcoming obstacles. He was a success in the fullest meaning of the term. In fact, in chapter 6, verse 15, we read, So on October 2nd, the wall was finished. Just 52 days after it had begun. Despite the opposition, the work was done. The job was completed. And so our text today reveals some key factors that led to Nehemiah's success that we want to look at. Despite the threats that he got. And we know that threats can be really paralyzing. And they have a tendency to be so demoralizing that exhaustion can be compounded by the anxiety of potential sudden attacks. Not attacks, but potential sudden attacks. We can lose everything because of what might happen. As God's people worked on the walls, they faced the constant threats of terrorist attacks, like we see going on all around the world today, from those who are totally opposed to building the rebuilding of this wall. To counter such attacks, Nehemiah outlines in our text that we've read some wise and practical steps that he had taken. First, he posted guards at evident weak points. He was able to determine those weak spots where the enemy could get in and infiltrate the camp, posted guards. He reminded the workers to keep their weapons close by, to fight for God, their families, and the nation if they were attacked. Good advice. He set up duty rotations for some to stand guard while others worked. What were the results of these wise measures that he put in place? Well... The combined defense measures that Nehemiah put in place resulted in the work being continued. The continuance of the work. The reverse of the terrorism effects instead demoralized the enemy. In other words, what the enemy was doing backfired on them. So there's a principle that we can learn from that too. What is it? Our obstacles and enemies can make us do one of two things. Be smart in our work and wise in our living. Or be forced to give up our purpose and our way of living. It will accomplish only those two things. One of those two. If the enemy accomplishes the second one, even without actually attacking us, They've already won. They have defeated us. But if we wisely change our way of living, just like Nehemiah did when he took those measures, if we wisely change our way of living while firmly continuing to live by God's instructions, the enemy will undoubtedly fail. That's a principle that we can take, and it will work. It worked for Nehemiah. It can work for us. So what are the key factors for success 
that we can learn from Nehemiah to deal with all kinds of opposition that we may face when we decide to get busy for God. Well, Nehemiah teaches us that getting busy for God requires intercession. First one, intercession. Verse 4 and 5. Then I prayed, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing roll back on their own heads. And may their enemies become captives in a foreign land. Don't ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins. For they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. And then we go down to verse 9 and we see another prayer. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. This first factor that this first factor of fear was actually a key ingredient in Nehemiah's life. He always looked up before he launched out. He always prayed before he proceeded. That's a good formula. It's a formula for success. And it's one that we should always have, no matter what. Sometimes we get ourselves in a predicament and we jump in, so excited that we're going to be successful. And then we, when we get on the verge of failing, then we remember we missed the first step, prayer. His success formula was that intercession preceded interaction. Is that your formula? Psalm 79, 12 says, O Lord, pay back our enemy, our neighbors, seven times for the scorn they have hurled at you. And then Psalm 123, verse 3 says, Have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy, for we have had our fill of contempt. We have had more than our fill of the scoffing of the proud and the contempt of the arrogant. Prayer. Before we proceed. While on a guided tour of Spurgeon's Tabernacle in London, England, a visitor was asked by the guide who was doing the tour if he would like to see the church's power plant. He said, sure. Expecting to see some massive equipment which operated the building, the visitor followed the guide down into the basement. And as the guy opened the door, instead of being greeted with, a, with the noise of massive machinery, he saw over 700 people on their knees praying for the services. That's power. That's where the power came from. Those 700 saints on their knees was the power plant for that church. And for every Christian, the devotional realm is the power plant of his or her life, where he or she opens up their life to the Heavenly Father through prayer. Is your power plant working? Is it active? Or have you abandoned it? Sanballat and Tobiah used ridicule to try to discourage the Jews from building the wall because they knew how deeply ridicule can cut and cause damaging discouragement and despair. They knew that. 
They had done it so many times before that it always worked. But it didn't work this time. It did not work. Because, of, because instead of trading insult for insult, insult, like sometimes we have a tendency to do, someone insults us and we try to insult them with an even worse insult to make them feel worse. Nehemiah could have done that. But instead of trading insult for insult, Nehemiah prayed. And the work continued without missing a beat. See how powerful prayer is? So here's another application principle for us. Whenever ridiculed for your faith or criticized for doing the right thing, reject the temptation to respond in the same way or get discouraged. Instead, express your feelings to God and remember his promise to be with you. Such a response will provide the needed encouragement and strength to continue with the task, to go on for the Lord. So whenever we get busy for God and opposition comes, the first factor that we need that will lead to success is intercession. But Nehemiah also teaches that getting busy for God requires initiative. Initiative. This second factor is the planning that will lead to success when opposition confronts us. See, many times we think that all we need to do is just pray. Nehemiah teaches that that's not all. Notice again the practical tone of verse 9. But we prayed to our God. Is that all he did? What else did he do? What does the verse say? And guarded the city day and night. In other words, they didn't just go sit down and say, Lord, you, you're in trouble, help us. And that's it. They prayed and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Notice that Nehemiah doesn't just say, we prayed. We, we, we must understand that, that intercession, that while intercession is, is an essential factor, it is absolutely no substitute for initiative, but rather a prelude to it. Notice what the text says in verse 6. So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined to, together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. The people were enthusiastic about working. A fellow um, confronted uh, asked George Mueller one day, he says, he said he asked George Mueller if he could pray for him to be able to get out of bed in the morning. George Mueller responded, you get one foot out of the bed and I'll pray for the other, other leg. Doing. Our devotional life and practical life are like two sides to a coin. Or like two hands on a clock. They work together. They move together. Nehemiah actually lived out the key ingredient for Christian victory that was summarized by these words. I pray as if everything depended on God, then I work as if everything depended on me. That's exactly what Nehemiah did. And that's exactly what God calls for us to do. When we get busy for God, an opposition raises its ugly head. We don't just sit there and pray and expect that God is going to do everything. No, we pray as if everything depended on God and then we work as if everything depended on us. And God will work and move through us. 
And so whenever we get busy for God and opposition comes, the second factor that will lead to success is initiative. Because intercession and initiative go hand in hand. They work together. They always work and move together. But Nehemiah also teaches us, thirdly and finally, that getting busy for God requires inspiration. So it requires first intercession, it requires initiative, and now it requires inspiration. This third factor is the motivation that will mean the difference between success and failure when confronted with opposition in God's work. Notice, when Nehemiah came face to face with the people's fear, the text tells us that he got up and spoke up to the people about the power of God. Not about their skills, not about their abilities, not about what somebody else did and how they were so successful at it. No, he spoke to them about the power of God. Notice verse 14. When I saw their fear, he could see it. Fear was dropping all over the, off all of these people's faces. I rose up and spoke to the nobles. The Lord who was great and awesome. Notice he reminded them who God was and how great he was. The Lord who is great and awesome. And awesome can only be ascribed to God alone. Nobody else. Nothing else. That word should not even be used in context with nothing else. God is the only one who is awesome. And will fight for your, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Notice he stresses, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And the purpose for their fight. You're fighting for your families and your possessions. We have a similar reminder recorded in Numbers chapter 14, verse 9. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. See, whenever we get busy for God, an opposition comes. The third factor that will lead to success is inspiration. Because Nehemiah teaches us that positive affirmation comes from powerful motivation. So that brings us to another principle that we can take with us as we leave here today. The last one. By being mindful of the purpose to which God has called us and the power he provides to accomplish that purpose, we will be encouraged to move on toward the completion of whatever task God has given us to perform. In closing, whenever we get busy for God, trouble is going to come. Expect it. No ifs, buts, or maybe, it's coming. It's coming. The brother that I worked with in, in Jacksonville, I remember him telling me when he decided to move from Savannah, Georgia to Jacksonville. Before that, he just commuted. He went up every, every week, he went up and he did a little Bible study. 
met with some folks. And then one lady says, you know, brother, I've got a little building here that I'm not using. We could use it as a little assembly. And he decided to move. When he decided to move, he had got, got a brand new van, had a lot of kids in the, in the neighborhood that he was going to plan, pick these children up and carry them and start a Sunday school and teach these children the word of God and get everything going. And he got this little van and, and he and his wife were on the, on the road traveling. They were both in their 50, 60 year olds and they were traveling on the highway and the van caught fire. Had everything that he owned in that van. And he told his wife, he said, he said, honey, jump out. And she jumped out on the highway while the van was still rolling. And she broke an ankle. The van rolled onto the side of the highway and the door, the only door that he could get out of got pinned up against a tree. And the fire was in the front of him, the door was in the back of him, and he couldn't get out. He said he, don't know, he doesn't know to this day where he got the strength from, but he got out. And he said the message that he got was the devil was telling him, listen, you can visit Jacksonville, but do come live here. You can continue to commute, but you're not going to live here. I will not have it. Opposition will come. Expect it. He continued at the task. And an assembly was, was established. As one old preacher put it, when your cup runneth over, look it out. Since we are caught between the proverbial rock and a hard place, as members of the incredible body of Christ, where we must experience, must, no commitment without conflict, no opportunity without opposition, no triumph without trouble, Nehemiah teaches us today that from his own experience, getting busy for God requires intercession, initiative, and inspiration. So that just like he did, you and I can turn our stumbling blocks into stepping stones. How about obstacles become opportunities for accomplishment? An experience how our trouble can be transformed into triumph. Nehemiah did it. We can do it. Let's pray. Our Father in God, we have been reminded today that there is no shortage of your divine intervention when we get involved in your work to accomplish your purposes according to your will. We've been reminded by your servant that we can overcome when we depend upon you, but not just sit by idly, but we become engaged in the task that doing our part while you do your part. And so Father, as we go forward this week, we indeed will be challenged because your word reminds us that it never returns to you void. And so the enemy is going to challenge us to put our money where our mouth is this coming week. In some way or shape or form, your people gathered here, if not all of us, some of us, will be challenged. We pray, O oh Lord, that we may be mindful of what you've taught us today and be able to put those principles to work in order that you indeed would be glorified and we would be edified. For this we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.